Hey, what's up, coaches? Welcome to Keep Your Pads Down, your home for all things defensive line play. And look, I know if, if I'm going to make that claim, I better be ready to back it up. And you guys who are regular listeners to this podcast have probably noticed that it's been well over a month since we've had an actual D-line coach on the show to just talk through some good old-fashioned D-line play. And frankly, that is way too long. So we remedy that today by talking with the Virginia Military Institute defensive line coach and run game coordinator, Coach Pat Koontz. If you're new to the podcast and looking to learn more defensive line play, defensive football in general, and even hear episodes where we cover topics like leadership or you know championship mindset, then we've got you covered with a pretty extensive library that is over 100 episodes strong that you should go back and check out. We have episodes with coaches who have national championships on their resume, uh, many guys who've won state championships, we got D1 college coaches, small college coaches, high school coaches, and even a few non-coaches uh, on that guest list. So if you're a defensive coach, especially a defensive line coach, we have plenty of episodes available to you that will help you get better as we head into the summer. So take us along with you on the road trip to the beach, family reunion, or your camping trip this summer. We also pair really well with yard work. Anyway, wherever you listen to us and however you listen to us, Thank you for checking us out today on what is episode number 107. Now, before we get in our conversation with, with, with Coach Kuntz today, I want to tell you about our sponsors for season three of KYPD, beginning with our friends at GoEdit Graphics. So what GoEdit Graphics does is allow any coach to create custom graphics in minutes by changing the colors, text, and images to make it their own. They offer categories like game day, scoring, player profiles, and communication, just to name a few. The platform is super easy, it's affordable, and there are no design skills needed. So if you're looking for a way to promote the awesome things going on in your athletic program, then the team at GoEdit Graphics has got you covered. Subscriptions are for 12 months, and they include unlimited graphics. Here's something else that's cool. Mention Keep Your Pads Down and receive $25 off your Showcase yearly package. You can go check them out on Twitter at GoEdit Graphics or visit their website through the link in today's show notes to see examples of the awesome graphics coaches have already created. You can also check out our Twitter feed for examples, as many of our show's graphics were created using GoEdit as well. Showcase your athletes with custom graphics in less than two minutes with GoEdit Graphics. Next up, we're proud to be partnering with Our Coaching Network. Our Coaching Network is a new football coaching platform connecting coaches from all levels and helping them get better every week. Our Coaching Network has live clinics going off three to four nights a week and we'll have 150-plus hours of high-quality live coaching clinics this year with each week's clinics added to a library that can be referred back to at any time in the future. This week will feature clinics Monday through Thursday nights with three of those centering around the defensive side of the ball with a clinic on linebacker play, uh, defensive fundamentals, and DB play. And for you guys who are running your program's special teams, Wednesday night's clinic will cover special teams play with Akron University special teams coordinator Anthony Calgene. So get on over to Our Coaching Network, create your account. It's going to cost you something like 50 cents a day and level up on your coaching knowledge and begin learning and connecting with coaches from all over the country. Now back to today's guest. I am thrilled to be talking with Virginia Military Institute defensive line coach and run game coordinator, Coach Pat Coons. Coach Coons is in his second season as VMI defensive line coach. He came to VMI after serving three years on the Indiana University staff as a defensive graduate assistant, working primarily with the defensive line. Coach was a four-year letter winner at Notre Dame from 2005 to 2008 and was a three-year starting nose guard for the Fighting Irish. 
He was named Lineman of the Year in 2007 and 2008 and led the nation in passes broken up by a defensive lineman in 2007. After graduating from Notre Dame with a degree in sociology, Coach Kuhn signed with the Indianapolis Colts as an undrafted free agent in 2009. Coach began his coaching career at his high school alma mater at Ron Colley High School in Indianapolis, where he graduated in 2005 and later served as defensive line coach in 2010 through 2015. He was also the defensive coordinator for the 2015 season. Now, the Keydets are coming off a historical season where they started off 5-0 and and then went on to win the Southern Conference title, finishing with a record of 6-2 and and qualifying for the FCS playoffs, where they fell to perennial power James Madison. Today, we talk about Coach's days at Notre Dame, his journey through the game of football, and then we get into various techniques that the Keydets play in their odd front structure, which allows them to be extremely multiple and disruptive. Now, our conversation today can also be seen on our show's YouTube channel, a link to which can be found in the show notes of this episode. So if you want to see some cut-ups and detailed descriptions of the techniques that Coach talks about today, then you can go and check that out as well. A ton of interesting stuff in this one today, so let's dive in. Here's Coach Pat Kuntz on episode 107 of Keep Your Pads Down. Coach Coots, welcome to the podcast. Looking forward to talking with you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Ty, for having me. It's an honor. I've listened to it many times, and I appreciate everything you're doing for the sport and the D-line position. Well, Coach, I appreciate it. Now, I've had my, you know, I had my eye on you and the Keydets all year and, and knew that, that you are someone I wanted to talk to, wanted to give your, you guys some time for your season to wrap up, a really special season that y'all had, qualifying for the playoffs and, and really coming up just short uh, there in that first round. But let's begin by talking about your football journey up to this point. From Indiana, uh, Indianapolis, played at Notre Dame. So just give us some highlights from there and, and what, what got you into coaching and maybe some of your influences. Well, heck yeah, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, from Indianapolis, I uh, was blessed to have a lot of good friends that were talented at football. And that carried on through high school where we won three state championships at Ron Colley High School in a row. And Catholic kid in Indianapolis, I got offered Christmas Eve of my senior year very late by Notre Dame. And it took me about two weeks to commit. I probably would have been disowned if I, I was to choose otherwise. But it was just a really lucky situation for a kid who was always a Notre Dame fan growing up. To be able to play for that school that you always loved is something special. And, you know, I was a, a chip-on-your-shoulder type player. I was a guy who probably didn't belong athletically at some of these highest levels. But I feel like the work ethic, my mentality, and just that extra little bit of chip on my shoulder paid off. So was uh, lucky enough to place some good years at Notre Dame. We had two bowl games early at the BCS. Our freshman year was the Bush push year. Uh, so that was a very fun, exciting journey. Um, last two years were okay. The, my junior year, we had a rough, rough go about it. But senior year, we ended up with a seven and six season and the Hawaii Bowl victory. And after that, I had a chance with the Indianapolis Colts, basically a cup of coffee. Um, I was there from about May to August. And uh, just a great, learning opportunity. I think I absorbed more football in those six months with a, a legend, an absolute legend, John Terling, rest in peace. Um, and through that process, that kind of started the planting seeds into coaching. So once I was cut, I was one of those guys who I thought football was forever. Um, I did get a degree, so I did have something to fall back on, but 
There's just something in my gut. There was something in me. There was a hole that I needed to fill that hole. And, you know, coaching was the best thing that could happen to me. So I right away, I got into the high school at Danville High School in Indiana. I was there for about three months. Then I ended up coaching five more years at Indianapolis Ron Colley, my alma mater, where the last two seasons, I ended up being a defensive coordinator. Uh, we had some late playoff runs. And, you know, through this whole time, I was writing 50, 60, 70 letters handwritten every year trying to get a GA opportunity. So, you know, I'm sitting there and no response, no response, no response. If I do get a response, it's a nice written letter, but it's no, we have nothing for you. And I try to stay in touch and go to conventions, but I was really kind of lost. So I ended up trying to get a hold of Tom Allen. I wrote him letters in South Florida. I knew he was an Indianapolis high school coach when I was a player there. And it just so happened when he got the IU defensive coordinator job, I wrote him another letter. So he got two letters from me within like a two month span. And it just so happened. He gave me a shot and I had to start April 28th that year because I was the oldest GA in college football. I was, it was that seven year rule right away where I had to get in before I, it was too late. And just, you know, it's a crazy journey how it's happened. I had three years at IU and then one of my friends that I met as a GA at IU was already at VMI and, you know, they had an opening here and I got over here in February, 2019 and it's been an awesome journey, man. It's just fun. And for all those people who, they're sitting there and they're in high school. Maybe they're not the level they want to be. Just keep working. Keep your head down. Keep plugging it. You know, it takes a little bit of luck in this business. And if you don't put the effort out, you're never going to have a chance to take advantage of it. Let's go back to uh, when you were playing at Notre Dame. I mentioned this in our conversation leading up to this one right now. If people were to, and I hate to put you on blast like this, but if people were to go and Google you, they could find uh, some pictures of you with some pretty – awesome haircuts from back in the day at Notre Dame. I really don't think there's any shame in it. And, and I mean, because you look really good with the, you got the mullet going and you had the mohawk. And um, so just seemed like a really high energy type guy. Talk about that and where that comes from. And is that how you coach today? Uh, well, that, a lot of that came from 18 or now 14 years of Catholic schooling where they didn't let me have any type of haircut or I had to shave my face all the time. So it was almost like the bird was out of the cage in a sense. Um, but yeah, it was it was a way that I kind of could let loose. But man, it was fun. I, you know, a couple of them, like that mullet haircut, like my teammates cut it. I didn't go to a barber shop or anything. I almost called a Kentucky waterfall. It doesn't even deserve to be a mullet. But, <laughs> uh, it was just something fun. I was a wild man. I mean, to be a 290 pound nose tackle, defense alignment at that level, uh, where I had to play in a different type of mentality. I almost it was hard for me to split that switch. Like I had everything I had to do was that type of mentality. It was just Get ready to take on double teams, knock people back, be violent, attack in every way of life. And I think that kind of held true with a little bit of peak in my haircut. You know, I'm just very high energy. I think people notice that when I'm a coach. I mean, that's, I, I don't want to say it for myself, but anybody would ask, I think they'd say I have some juice. Um, but yeah, I think that helps motivate players, which is what I really want to do, no matter what level, no matter what situation. It, it helps me in that aspect, is having that little extra gear. So, Call it weirdness, call it excitement, call it juice. You know, I got lots of it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think you have to as a D-line coach. I've said this before many times on this podcast, and this is no offense to a, an inside receivers coach, but you can you can coach in, inside receivers or running backs, uh, maybe even, even DBs, and not necessarily be a juice guy. Mm -hmm. I don't think you can say that about defensive line or offensive line. I think in both of those spots, those guys there, those coaches there had to be – bringing plenty of juice. 
It is. And, you know, you asked me, like, what are my kind of favorite aspects of D-line play? And you nailed it. It's, it's a, the violence of the position and the physical difficulty. Of it. And if, if you don't have the right fight-type mindset in there, you know, I, it's, you know, I think you're going to have a little bit lacking in the, the technique department. And so there is, you're right, there is an energy. And, you know, there are good D-line coaches, no-line coaches who don't have that. I mean, I think especially when you get to, like, the NFL, yeah. I'm not sure they have to have it. I mean, you're dealing yeah, with right. men who've probably been playing a lot longer than you have. So, you know, I think there's certain levels and talents that, you know, everybody's got to judge the room, but I'm with you, man. If I'm going to go, I'm going to go down swinging. I'm going to bring you. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Well, okay, so now you're at VMI. Uh, for those of us who don't know, describe some of the unique challenges, but also some benefits of coaching at a school like VMI. You know, there's a lot of challenges, and I don't want to ever take away from the university because it's been here since 1838, and it's not going anywhere. It's a great place, high education, right? But the living conditions, the military aspect, the what they have to go through not only academically but on an everyday basis, and then on top of that, your freshman year, when you go through matriculation, it is very challenging. I know there's not any air conditioning in the barracks where they all live. And, you know, originally, the barracks were actually built as a prison in the 1800s. So obviously, there have been advancements to that point, but there's a certain uniqueness that it's, it's a difficult place. But when you get through this process with all the camaraderie, with all the brotherhood that's in there and the sisterhood, obviously, there's female students here as well. Um, there's a different type of connection postgraduate here. And not only do you get a great degree, but your network is just so huge. So that I means just that camaraderie and people that you go through in general through these tough times, they help you. And with all that difficulty, like I'm saying, there is at least a payoff at the end of the road. And, you know, for it being so difficult, these kids, it's a pleasure to work here. And there's great things about this place because when the kids come to practice, I don't care how much time we have, I don't care what kind of day they had, they're juiced up. They're ready to work. It's the funnest part of their day. And if they get to be themselves, they get to let their hair down, so to speak. They get to be themselves. And they don't have to follow the same type of rigor that they've had to do when they're away from us. So from that aspect, I mean, the kids are focused. I mean, I, 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 these, these kids, I know I have some leaders that I graduated this last spring, but I've never been around a group that just took care of themselves. You know, I mean, I could tell a kid, hey, Make sure the kids are here by 815. They're there by 810. No problem. You know, I mean, I academics is challenging here, so you always deal with that no matter where you're at. But there was no disciplinary stuff I'm dealing with here. They're on campus. The problem they have if you get in trouble is they didn't write down where they have to be or where they went properly, or they didn't put their bed down, or they didn't shine their shoes. They're not doing things downtown in Gainesville. So I got to take that for what it is, and that's pretty special. Yeah, I'm sure Nick Saban would love for his worst uh, discipline issue that to be that, you know, his defensive tackle didn't make his bed or, you know, was five minutes late to a class or something. So exactly. uh, I guess you kind of take the good with the bad. So, I, again, uh, we mentioned in conversations leading up to this that I had a really close friend uh, who I graduated with go and play soccer at VMI. And I, I heard, I've heard some stories of what it's like and, you know, kind of some things that he went through while he was there. But give us just sort of a, a snapshot of what a day in the life of a football player at VMI looks like in the fall. Okay. And I'll try to be as fair as possible. I don't think there's too many high school recruits watching this video. So I don't have to falsify information. Um, typically they're going to be waking up and getting ready to march and assemble into line where they do like in, 
forgive me. I'm going to butcher the military wording and coding for all of this. I promise you. So please don't be mad at me for all those graduates for being mine. Um, but they go to formation and it's flag. So like they're all raising the flags and you hear the, the trumpet in the morning and all that kind of stuff, like typical camp military type deal. All right, so they get that going around seven, I believe. And from there, it's breakfast. They have their classes all the way through. Um, usually around lunch, which they call I think, dinner here. Dinner is called supper. I could have that reversed. Just a weird scenario again. Um, but they go through their classes, typical day like most people. We practice in the afternoons because they are basically school and military all the way till four o'clock for the most part. Unless the schedule permits with their class, they can get off around three. Okay, so from there, we are allowed with them, I believe, two and a half hours total. So this spring, it was actually a little bit less because we didn't get them until 4.30, 4.35 or something. All right, so from that four o'clock to about 6.30, we have them. And that's meeting, that's practice. All right. From there, they have to line up after practice to get back into formation and do another little deal they do every night where they put down the flag. Right, and from there they have late supper, study hall, lights out or ish. They're in their barracks, right, around eleven, and they have to sign in, they have to sign out if they leave barracks, and they have to make sure they have permission to go over to football practice and have all those all that stuff checked out, right. And it's it's a daily daily grind, and COVID kind of increased a lot of that because for the most part these kids, especially when it was hitting the fan. They couldn't leave campus. It was locked in, locked in. So it's it's a daily grind for these kids. And you got to make a lot of things happen. We got to teach and get a lot of work in in less time than our opponents. And that's just something that we accept and we got to deal with. I'm curious for as a as a coach coming in uh, who did not go to VMI, what adjustments have you had to make maybe in your own personal life or in your coaching style or how you prepare. Because you talked about, you know, time is a factor, uh, but you also just within the constraints that you're that you're dealing with there, being in such a unique situation, what changes have you made within yourself to kind of to fit or to best address the needs of your players? Well, that's a great, great question. Because these kids, the biggest thing I learned, because I was coming from, you know, high school and, and I use a GA even like we had to get after kids. You got to get after them for energy, for juice every day. Even in practice, you got to get them rolling. And when they mess up, you can ride them a little bit, especially the way I do it. You know, I never belittle people. I don't, you know, dehumanize anybody, right? But I am stern and I hold myself and them accountable. I do it a certain way, right? With these kids, they're taught their freshman year how to survive yelling, how to survive punishment and matriculation. You know what I mean? So when they're going through that and they got people yelling at them, they go into a shell. There's just something about them that they go protect mode. I'm going into my personal space and I'm just going to get through this. All right. So early on, when I'm trying to reset the tone of the position, all right, there was some grinding. I mean, there was me grinding them, but also kind of some fight back in a way that they didn't respond how I thought they were going to respond in some cases. Now, every kid's different that you coach, but overall, as I've grown here, I've learned it's a different type of deal. You know, I mean, you're never going to get anything out of the, these guys by completely yelling at them and belittling them. That's not going to happen. You, I mean, I'm going to naturally be loud and people might think I'm yelling at kids. And really, I'm just talking urgently at them. You know what I mean? So that's just who I am. And 
the ability to kind of make that always positive, as positive as I can, it's just made me a better coach. Because you can't just rely on yelling. You can't do that. And I know that's how kind of I grew up being coached. You know, there's some coaches who still do that and some coaches learn to do that. But there's a time and a place. And when you earn that respect, that's when it's more valuable and when you can use it to your advantage. I think that this place has really taught me that. It's, you know, sometimes the kid, you know, just tell them straight up. You don't have to be mad about it. You don't have to be just tell them straight up how's it going. Put arm around him because he's been through a lot that day before he got to me. Right. And so there's a time and a place. Pick your poison and learn to push the buttons at the right time. I think that's something that helped me. And another thing was early on, I'm getting here. I'm like, why are they doing this? Look, I've never been a part of the military. So why are they having to do this? Why can't we get them here? I just stopped asking why. Just deal with it. So what now what? Doesn't matter. Nobody cares. Work harder. Figure it out. And, you know, it's just, I think that's, you can't say that all the time in life, but there's a lot of times in life you can say, you know what, just deal with it. Let's just go. Let's figure out a way to make it. And I think that's been extremely valuable here with our staff and everyone here on our program. So now talk about this past season uh, and, and what that was like. You know, again, playing in the spring is unusual. Uh, and I know you had, uh, I think one game that maybe was canceled or that you had to, you had to, you had to, uh, you weren't able to play for whatever reason. So just talk about that season and, and that push into the playoffs that, that you guys had this past year. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, it starts out in the fall. I felt like all fall we're, we had a little, we'd have a little bursts of camp, a little bursts of camp. We had a little six day, seven day camp in August and now oh, it's done. All right. So now we're trying to figure out, are we going to play one or two or three games in the fall? All right. So we're still kind of working out. Still doing what we can, right? Then we have another little fall ball, which is like spring ball, but again in the fall. So there's no game in sight, but we're just getting ready for the spring. So all this time going up until January and February, I knew we had a good team. You, if you're a poker player, it's like we had a great hand and nobody's calling. Nobody's calling. I'm getting a bunch of folds, right? So finally we get to the spring. And to be honest, I mean, we were we were going right through the COVID just like everybody else. Right. Our kids just got back on campus. So for a lot of programs at FCS, you saw that big struggle early on to play. And that's what happened to us. Right. So uh, it was Chattanooga ended up backing out because of COVID reasons. Right. But to be truth, we were scraping and falling in as well. Right. So I think it was probably the best for both parties involved. But, you know, luckily for us, we weren't the ones who did it first. So technically we didn't back out. Right. So just to make that very clear. Right. Going on from there. We, you know, we got some guys back and we're still kind of scrambling and going into Furman. And, you know, that's that's a big opponent. They were number 10 in the country. They're a team that dropped 60 point on, points on us the year before. Our kids and our coach staff, we took that personally. And we were able to really upset a good football team. And I think that's when we took this initial early step of, all right, we got something rolling here. Let's keep this thing going. This could be a special season. Because whenever you start at BMI and you beat a team like Furman early in the season, that's a good sign. It's a really good sign. So we were able throughout, you know, you go into Western Carolina, you go into Mercer, right? Those are two daggone good football teams that whooped us up, us up the year before. We go in there and make history beating them in their place, beating Bert or Mercer for the first time at our place. And it's almost like every week was like a playoff championship for BMI. It really felt like it. we were the underdog. This is for the title. 
If we win this, we go on. It was like that seven weeks in a row. All right, we got some good breaks throughout, just like any other team that is at this point or gets to the playoffs. You had some breaks. There's no doubt about it. And you know, you look at Sanford game; it was crazy. Being able to come back and Reese, our quarterback, who's now at Maryland, he trans grad transferred. Um, he tore his ACL. I mean, third quarter, and then our redshirt freshman Seth Gordon gets in there and he gets a little taste, but. Reese comes later in on an ACL tear and makes a game-winning overtime touchdown. I mean, it's crazy, just that game, right? And, you know, from a defense perspective, I mean, there was a couple times in the red zone where we we bowed up and held no field goal, which I don't know if you've seen Sanford Dolphins. That is an offense, man. They got some players. They got some speed. And, oof, it's challenging. So just being able, I mean, I know the yards look crazy, but just holding them to 30 at a certain point isn't a bad deal these days. Because right, we know offenses get all the advantages in this daggone world, right? No doubt. No, no doubt. doubt. So you go from there, and then we end up coming back and winning late with a, that's backup quarterback who really grew, really grew it throughout the season. And that showed through the Wofford game. We see East Tennessee State, and we knew they were a good football team. They're talented. They got good old line, good running back, great, one of the best defenses in the conference. And we lost to them by four points. You know I mean? That's just, it was a close game. Right. And then you go from there and we get a chance to win the SOCON, keep the Shaco trophy against Citadel all in the same opportunity. And man, that was a special, special Saturday in Lexington, Virginia, being able to hold that Shaco trophy up and know that we were the outright champions. And then from there, we're sitting there watching the draft or, you know, not the draft, but the elect selection show. And we get good old JMU down the road, which they're pretty, pretty good football team. And you know, it took a little bit for us to get rolling there. You know, they got on us quick, but we made a run late. You know, I wish there was five quarters of football because I think we might have had a chance there if there was one more quarter. But they're a daggone football team, man. They're really good, really good. And, you know, I think it showed our guys at least that we can get this level. You can play with these guys. They're not superhuman. You know what I mean? They're college football players, just like you are. And for a team that's never been there before, it's important to see that and to feel that. And I think our kids got that. And, you know, it's just, it's a season I'm never going to forget. It was so awesome. Just, you're hanging on by a thread. That's the crazy thing. Like, people are like, how do you do this? Man, if we would have hurt like one or two more kids get hurt, we're rough shape, rough shape. And I think that's, that held true with a lot of teams. And some teams that had the talent that didn't produce, I could almost guarantee that's probably what happened. You know what I mean? They had some key guys get hurt, and now depth is already thin in the spring. It's a lot different than the fall beyond all the COVID opt-outs and all that stuff. It was just a, a stressful season. But if anybody's ready for this kind of a season, it's the VMI Cadets and all the adversity they go through on a day-to-day basis. So it was right up our alley. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I just have to imagine that there's probably not a better team in the country that was better equipped mentally and physically to handle those challenges that uh, were thrown at them. Uh, this year and so now you you have a really short off season and, and it's almost like I, I have to think that it's 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 a good thing because that momentum it's easier to keep that momentum from this spring that you created and roll that right into the summer and now in the next fall which it looks like that you're gonna have a, a full season full slate of games coming up in the fall so how how have you seen that kind of help sort of build some momentum towards towards this this summer and fall with your guys Oh, it, it's great. You know, I mean, I, if we're not having a spring ball, I think we got a better version of it. We got some really good reps. We had game reps experience. We got to be able to have that. It's 
I think biggest benefit from your point is short-term memory. I mean, it, it, it feels like it just happened versus happening a whole year ago. So as long as we can recover the great way and be able to get in shape and do the right things in the weight room and conditioning and do all that kind of stuff, I feel like it's going to be a great opportunity for us to start fast in the fall. Um, we do have a lot of guys coming back, which is very exciting. So we have key leaders and key positions that are returning. So I think for a team that graduated a lot in the spring, it may be more challenging than what we have coming forward. So we'll see that. Well, let's talk about, about your defensive line there. You guys are, are odd front, uh, but you're also very multiple in that front. So let's just start with your coaching progression for your D-line. You know, how are you coaching things like alignment, stance, keys, assignment, et cetera, with, with your guys? Absolutely. Well, we are a technique-based defensive line. And when we're an odd front, but really we're a multiple front. We're an odd personnel, but we play a lot of different techniques, a lot of different alignments. So I, I teach alignments you know, the general way like everyone else usually does. The whole debate early is, is it a nine technique or a seven technique, which I am a seven technique advocate because it is mathematically and pattern correct versus a lot of people who would really be mad at me for saying that. Um, plus, when you line up to wing sets and double wings, I feel like it helps you to be able to say, I want you to move in here versus the set. But that's just me. I know that there's guys like Pete Jenkins and stuff that, they would completely disagree, but I think it makes sense. And kids, you want things to make sense. So we teach that generally, right? And then through techniques, right? Some of the techniques are based off of those alignments, right? But I'm going to go ahead and pull up what I got here just to go through it. Basically, we go by techniques, right? And since we're a multiple defense, we have a lot of different schemes we do. And we try to do it conceptually, right? But from a starting point, I like to always start with our techniques because at the end of the day, those are what you're going to do from a day-to-day basis, from a play-to-play basis. And I'd rather teach you the how, all right, versus the when, right? The what versus the when, all right? I'll tell you when you need to do these. You just got to know what these are and how to apply them, all right? So going to our progression, all right, our first and foremost, most favorite technique, all right, besides movement is a shade, all right? And so a shade, all right, we got, we teach 75% on the hands, it's an attack read, right? So we're going to attack off that ball and keep it via the neck, right? I say near shoulder via the neck, right? When we're a shade technique, we're either going to be a one, a three, a four eye, a five, a six eye, or a seven, right? But mainly our guys, they're usually playing fives, threes, four eyes, and one, right? So the outside pieces, I had a hand in the outside linebacker world uh, this season, especially with the COVID and the space issues, all right? So we had more 6i and 7 looks as well, all right? But from that shade technique, again, it's a gap. It's attacking one-gap style defense, all right? So with the stance, I do like to have a little bit of stagger in the feet, okay? But hand placement, I like to go near hand is on the bicep, all right? And then the far hand is on the far chest. I like those thumbs up, all right? From that shade technique, it's just like a lot of people know, we're going to go hands, hips, and steps to that key. My eyes and my hands see and feel that key, right? And what's important is that I got a lockout. I got a peak in my gap, violent shed, and defeat the block, right? So based off all these techniques, we're going to teach them all the blocks that they will see and how to defeat them, right? And so I think for my progression that a shade is the easiest way to say, all right, look, no matter if you're moving, all right, into it, all right, you're going to be in a position to play a shade technique at some point when you're taking on alignment, right? So even when we move and things like that, that's where the hand placement gets in. You know, I mean, if I'm moving into one gap, 
and I got to use my hands to, to feed a block, I'm going to have to try to get my hand on the near bicep to my gap and the hand on the far chest, right? So teaching through a shade is the most advantageous that I feel for our position group, right? So going from there, let me switch this up and I'll go into our next technique. And off of these, if you want to see clips, obviously I'll show you some clips, right? But the next one is read attack, right? So read attack, I don't want to make this feel like a two gap. That's why I put two gap in parentheses, all right? I personally had to play a frog stance two gap my junior year at Notre Dame at 290 pounds. It was challenging, very challenging. Oh, I can imagine. I don't think there's a lot of humans in the planet that can do it yeah. the right way you want it. And a lot of those guys are playing on Sundays. So, you know, I mean, it's a very difficult technique. So I like to have it as attacking as I could possibly have it. But by rule, it is a read attack because we're going to see and feel where the O-line screws are going first to help us get our shoulder square, hands, and body to that O-line. Makes sense? So we can always still end up in the backside gap, but I want to have more of a square presence. I don't want to just shoot vertical and take the backside. Does that make sense? So, yep, yep. Yeah. So basically, like, that's our – we have a shade, and then we have a, a slower way of playing it that we get more hands-on and we're going to connect more, right? So I like to do that when we play a zero, when we play a two-eye. And again, just so you guys are catching up with me here, I call those techniques, when I say the technique, it means they're playing a shade or a read attack in those alignments. So, for example, we will definitely move from a zero and we'll move from a two-eye. But when we're just lined up in a two-eye and I want a straight-ahead technique, it's going to be a read attack, right? And so our stance now, we're going to be a little lighter on our hands. I don't want to get froggy. I don't want to be sitting there looking like I'm taking a deuce, right? But I want to make sure I can see and have lightness in my feet enough to where I can mirror and stay square for the initial movement of the play, All right? So more of a balanced stance, obviously. We can't be staggered up when I got to take my left foot possibly or my right foot and step dependent on movement, okay? So this is an attack read. Line up on a full man. Our visual key is the face mask. If you can see it, the helmet screws above the face mask, right? Now it ends up being a little more chest to chest with your hand placement, all right? But I usually say backside shoulder because depending on where the hat moves, you're going to be behind it. So that's near, like near bicep. You get my point? So, like a shade technique, I want to attach that near bicep. When I'm doing a read attack, my backside hand could end up on the shoulder, but I need to use that that gap hand or that fighting pressure hand to get on that chest, all right? So it could be two chests, could be two shoulders, could be a shoulder to chest. I'd like to see somebody clinic talk and tell me that that hasn't happened playing D-line. A lot of those people didn't play D-line. They think your hands are going to end up a little funky sometimes. <laughs> you know what I mean? You, you, yeah. You're coaching high school kids. I coach yeah. Them. Well, yeah. yeah. I, I think you always give them a place to aim, you know, but then you know that that's, that's in an ideal world and that it's going to sometimes wind up bicep and armpit and, and, but yeah, you give them a place to aim, you know, it's kind of the whole aim small, miss small deal. If you just say, go attack this guy. Well, you know, that's pretty <laughs> wide open, but if you give them those, those target points, then, then that at least has, gives them something to, to shoot for. But yeah, you're right. That's those hands wind up in a lot of different places. No doubt. No doubt. And it's, you're right. Aim small, miss small. It's, you know, and 
one thing like coaching these kids that I told you one of the benefits, they're very smart and they're very detailed and specific. So you better tell them where to put their hands. You better be detailed and let them figure it out from there. Because if you leave out information, you're crippling these kids at BMI. They want every piece, every daggone piece, which is good. You want that as a coach. All right. So now when you're doing the read, read attack deal, okay, you really got to be faster with your feet and get your feet to the party. Then that lockout happens. All right. So once you get the lockout, now it turns into really a shade technique. So the point is when I'm playing a shade, all right, if I do my shade technique correctly, if I'm getting a base block guy and I peek my gap and the back doesn't show up in my gap and he shows up in the gap assist, I shed and I go gap assist, right? So in a sense, isn't that two gapping? Yeah, in my opinion, yeah. <laughs> so really I could teach a two gap and a shade attack or an attack read, doesn't really matter. It's just how, how thick do you want guys on guys? Or do you want people smoking off that ball hitting vertical into the backfield and knocking people back. I mean, it's, I think that's the kind of game we play when we're multiple. It's like, sometimes I want this, sometimes I want this. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and th that's a great way of, of playing it where you're, you're kind of getting the best of both worlds mm -hmm. um, by playing it that way. No doubt. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Going into our next technique here. All right. Just to knock them all through. All right. In the progression. So we've gone from, we go to our shade technique, we go to read attack, and then I teach an egg because an egg is a basically a variation, and people call this different things. I just learned to egg. Coach Hagen called it an egg. I loved it, so I just call it an egg. Right? So basically it's a shade technique, but when you get hat two, you're going to punch and cross. Like I said, so basically you're going to be straining your gap, all right, and then you're going to up and under the gap. Make sense? So it's a shade. But now, once I get a reach or a base block or even a pass set, I'm going to punch, strike, and cross underneath, all right? So basically, it's just a way that some people want to just run a one-gap movement to cancel a gap. It's a way that we can cancel a B-gap if, if we have an open one, all right? It's an also a way that we can give you an edge and possibly overload you in pass protection. So, for example, if I'm a three technique and I got an edge, we could have a five technique spilling off of you and a guy coming off the edge that's a blitz peel. So if I get my hands on the guard and the spill guy's on the tackle, it's a way that we can overload you three on two. All right. They'd have to be able to pass the egg technique and have the center take them over completely, which is hard when I'm getting my hands on the guard. So it has benefits in the run game and the pass game for us in our scheme, um, especially when we play these option teams, which I don't know if you know the SOCON, as well as we do, but we we've run the football in this league. Yeah, and yeah. Not a big passing league, so we got to have very bona fide run built techniques that are going to help us throughout our season. Because if we don't, we're not going to go anywhere. We're not going to go anywhere. I mean, we got a, teams that average five yards a carry in our, our conference, and so you better have some of the table, and you better force them into situations where they're going to be able to throw the football because that's where it shows up, or you get a chance to get after some of these teams. All right, so. Um, going on to my favorite technique, which some kids get it, some kids don't. I, it's one of the hardest things I've had to coach, but I love coaching with a pop. All right, so a pop from a D-tackle perspective, this is what I'm talking about. So basically a pop takes two people. It takes a penetrator, and it takes a long stick behind the penetrator. 
right? So it's a way for us to also cancel gaps, okay? The pop, when I refer to it, is talking about the penetrant. So what I like to do is I, I like it out of a three technique best, but just the variation of our defense and things we've had to do to help pick protections and maybe determine, we, we call it a stimulus. I like to create a stimulus so we can determine where the pass protection is going to slide to. In some of those scenarios, we use a zero load pop or a one technique pop. But for rep purposes and for the base, our defense, it's a three technique heavy pop. Okay, so with this, right, it's very attack oriented. Our hand is 85% weight. All right, I want to balance our stance because I don't want to take a humongous first step. Right, just the way that when I'm a penetrator and I'm shooting through a gap low and causing chaos, the worst thing can happen is that I get knocked off the block or that I get cut or reached. Okay, so just having a more balanced stance, right, having this train track, so to speak, allows me to turn my feet over like a bicycle better than taking one humongous step, dipping, ripping, and being really not powerful through the gap. All right, so what I coach is it's very low pad level. Bear crawlers are great doing pops as long as they get their butt low, all right, which is perfect for the podcast. Win with your hat is what I say. Win with your hat. When you say hat, I like to think eyes, my face. I talk about being violent through the line of scrimmage, and it's not about – you don't want kids playing with their eyes down. I like to tell them, put your face through the line of scrimmage. Pretend there's a piece of glass right across the line. Your face low is breaking through that glass. And so I think that kind of leads into some of our movement stuff, but it starts with a pop. you got to be able to have a kid just rip through, juice up, not get reached, not get cut off and penetrate. If you're on the ground in the backfield, it's okay. It's not that big of a deal because you're canceling gaps and you're causing him. So it's one of my favorite techniques because it's not a lot of coaching to it, really, as far as what to do. The coaching is how to do it, right? So that's where you got to have the right kind of kid. There's a kid I had in 2019, right, who he was just a hard head. I mean, this kid, it's like you could hit him in the back with a two-by-four and it wouldn't even flinch. Right? He's just one of those hard-headed kids. He loved this thing because it was just like, you're telling me I don't have to think of and see anything. I could just go. All right, I'm all in. So that kind of kid loves it. When you get kind of the thinkers and the feelers up front and those guys who want to see and decipher, right, this isn't usually the technique that they succeed at. you got to really grind them, really grind them through there, right? But it's the most aggressive technique we do, and that's why it's one of my favorites. So you, you said you like this when you're – so I'm assuming – so the five technique on, on that three technique side, is he going to then long stick into the A-gap? Correct. Okay. Correct. So mm -hmm. is the three tech going to try to keep contained through the B-gap? Or do you have an outside – you have someone – you have an overhang or someone who's, who's technically keeping contained on that side? Yes, that's a great question. We usually have either an outside pressure – that will contain it, or we're using it as a B-gap to B-gap cancellation. So we can be a spill player in that sense, that we will have a C-gap presence show up from a second level. So I've had it where it is that way before, not here, all right? But here I like to just make it as less thinking as possible and just go be disruptive. Now, when we run it against Citadel and wing T teams, which we have done, and that's why we kind of went multiple, is we want all our techniques to fit against every opponent. We play quarterback, which makes it a nice little change-up to when you run midline or mid-follow when we're just running a pop right in the face. It also is a beauty against trap. So when that guard comes and kicks out the popper, 
that long stick just sneaks right in there for a layup. Yeah, I like that. That's um, that's a different way of um, of playing those midlines and traps because, um, you know, generally, usually a three tech storming upfield is exactly what they want to see, mm-hmm. but you know, when you have a five, you have that five technique wrapping around, uh, sniping it from behind. That that makes it uh, makes it tough on those guys for sure. Absolutely, and you know, as far as those option teams go, just you know. I am 35 years old and I'm not acting like I am God's gift to green earth here, but I do know one thing defensively. If you don't have dudes that are just going to dominate up front or dominate from the linebacker position, right? The worst thing you could do against these option teams is get vanilla is get vanilla. Cause they they're trained to know exactly how to block trash can. Yeah. So getting vanilla doesn't work unless you can literally just beat the crap out of guys. So Part of it was, is like, we got to be different. We got to be able to do some stuff that is going to make it challenging for those guys blocking. And every scheme has weaknesses. Even our, I mean, I know our defense has scheme has weaknesses. So trying to be able to exploit that with movements and being disciplined when you do it, I think it creates some good opportunities. Yeah, for sure. For sure. We, um, you know, we are, our offense is, is wing T and um, I, I've heard our guys talk about, and, and we'll, we'll, we don't do it a whole lot, but we'll scrimmage each other, go up against each other. And, and it's, you know, well, if you do this, I'm going to do this. And it's kind of the classic, whoever has the marker last type deal. But I do know that when we heat those guys up and get a little bit um, sometimes unsound or maybe a little, just bit, a little bit crazy with some of our stunts and looks and things that that can give them issues because you're right. They're used to, Oh, you're going to do this or you're, you're in this technique. Okay, great. But when you guys start moving and doing some, some sometimes some unusual things that that's difficult for them to pick up. Absolutely. And you nailed it. Cause just like you're worried about your rules on defense, they have rules too. And you gotta, well, you gotta make something funky to where they're like, well, maybe we have to make a bylaw to this rule. And that's really what I want to do from the defense. So I'm, I'm with you. Cause we play Mercer and their wing T kind of like spread wing T. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar oh, yeah. with chronic, yep. but yeah, I mean, we got after them, but I know that they got it's, – it's some good steam they run, man. I mean, it's difficult. you got to be sound. And part of the reason why we had success against them is they were young up front. And when you give these type of hard looks to young kids, it could be challenging. So I would expect them to be a lot better with our movements next year. I promise you that. So we got to be better up front. But um, those are our so-called vertical techniques. So basically, to recap, it's shade, it's read attack, it's egg, which is really like a shade. You're just, if the hat comes to you in any way, base reach or pass set, you're going to strain and then up and under it, right? Or a pop, which is just, let's shoot our bullet. Pop's great. Oh, for anybody who's listening, it's kind of like when you're on the goal line and you got to get real low and you got to shoot the gap. That's basically what a pop is comparable to from someone just listening here to the Spotify realm or whatever podcast you like to listen to, right? So, now we're going into our movements, which that's what separates us from a lot of teams in our conference. I'm just going to tell you straight up. We move, and we move a lot, right? But the hard part is, at least, and this is what, you know, even guy, a guy that I coached high school ball with at Ron Colley, he said this when I was D coordinator, and it even held more true at IU with Coach Hagan. And it was, if you're going to move all the time, you better have some change-ups where you're going right after and vertical. because like you got to go punch them in the mouth from time to time or else you're just going to get a bunch of O-linemen sitting there, staying ladder on the line of scrimmage, sifting you out or washing you. 
washing you, washing you. So I really harp on, especially with our D coordinator, Tom Clark, is, you know, what do you like this week? What kind of calls do you want to run? What do you like? I got to have a movement. I got to have a vertical attack and defense almost. I don't want to say base because we're so multiple. don't like our movement is somewhat a base for us at VMI. Right. So I, I call it a change up. Basically, you got to have a change up. We're playing straight up shade technique, read attack, egg, where we can't let these guys just think that they're going to be lateral and not have to roll off the ball and block us. You know what I mean? So I think that's a big part when I go into our movement stuff is like, you got to have some punch in the mouth techniques to counterbalance this thing. All right. So with that, all right, I'm just going to keep it pretty simple. All right. As best as I can here. Right, we have one gap movement, right? I separate these things, so I'll pull this up. I separate these one gap movements by inside and outside, all right? I don't teach the technique that way, but I know from doing this defense that different blocks take place. You're seeing different things when you are a two-eye ripping into the B gap than a three technique ripping into the A gap. You know what I mean? So even though... The technique that I'm going to tell you here, like I call it a spike, which is a three technique going the A gap, or a one technique ripping across the center rack, or a five technique one gapping into the B gap, right? That's a beat that we call it, okay? So those are all inside going towards the ball, one gap movement, all right? And the technique again doesn't change, it's just different blocks, different keys you're going to have to do here, right? Especially off the edge that we'll get into later, okay? So the keys I like to have here, all right? So it's an attack stance. I want the weight to be just like a shade. I don't want to get too funky with it. I want it to look just like a shade because O-linemen read our feet just like we try to read them, all right? So I know we want to align for success like we do and all cheat this stuff, but try to make things look somewhat the same, all right? First step, 45 degrees, dip and grab grass, eyes of the visual key, which is the near hip of the gap you're moving to. So that near hip, near shoulder, all right? The hand placement, again, like I talked about, it's going to end up being like a shade. You get in there and you punch, it's going to be near hand bicep, far hand on the chest, right? What I like to talk about is win the race to your gap. Now, when I say win the race, that's me motivating the D lineman to, hey, get your butt moving. We're not sitting here and wait. It's an attack mentality, attack. But having said that, I know from a three technique running a spike that if he's going, I call it with the grain. If he's going in the same direction that I'm going, I'm not going to beat him to the spot. He knows the snap count and I don't. So it's fine if I end up behind him. I just have to take his body and put his body in the gap I'm moving to. Right? So we believe in that. It allows us to play blocks a lot better and to avoid getting washed on the next spot. Right? Plus, it helps you with scoops. It helps you redirect. There's so many benefits there. Right. A lot of times, if you're getting slide pro away from it, that also helps you because you can crease it off of that hip. Right. So when I'm saying all that, like I said earlier, attack vertical through the line of scrimmage with your feet. This is not a flat deal. We're getting vertical because kids are like, I think I'm getting vertical. Then on tape, I'm like, no, you're not. Get more vertical. If you think it's 45, change it to 10 degrees, dude. Get vertical. Get vertical. Maybe it's the other way. I don't know. What, 980? No, I think it's 80 degrees here. That's right. Hey, hey, it sounds good. I knew what you meant. Like in my mind, my, that, that angle got really steep. So I know, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, we don't want you to go backwards. Yeah. Um, okay, so second step, and this is critical. You're doing these one gaps. The second step's got to be in the ground quick and vertical. 
You can't click heels. You can't cross feet because that's when you dip a rip, you're going with the grain. They're washing that fights the pressure, right? On the third step, it's either strike, squeeze, or penetrate. Strike, squeeze, or penetrate. So by my third step, if he's going the same way as me, I'm squeezing him, burying him down the gap. If he is crossing my face and that hip's coming to me, I'm going to strike it. If I'm going that near hip and it's space, I'm penetrating, right? Obviously, there could be some kickouts and things that happen off of it. So it's critical to even chase that hip that our visual cue is at, right? So that's the one gap inside, okay? And I'll just go to tell you the names of what we call the other ones outside. All right, let me see here. Right there. All right, so going into our outside movements, okay? So now think about it like this, a two-eye ripping across the guard into the B-gap, I call it a rag. A four-eye ripping across the tackle, all right? We do a rat, it's a spill technique, all right? We didn't do too many rats, but we have it in our toolbox if we need it, all right? We had hung our hat more on loops, which a loop is a four-eye looping outside He's going to be a quarterback player. He's going to squeeze kick out. So he's going to contain, contain, right? So with the rag and the loops, you see different blocks. And there's different ways you fit it. You know what I mean? So, for example, when you're a three technique spiking in the A gap, if you get trapped, it's not that hard to see. I mean, you're off the hip. And you're already looking off the hip and you see the kick out, bang. When you're a two-eye ragging outside and that guard veer releases inside, you got to scrape paint. It's almost like a police officer checking a door, checking a corner. You got to get that thing tight, your eyes back inside because you're a dive player. You got to spill a trap. Well, that's difficult. Same thing with the loop. When you're looping outside, you got to be able to read that tackle hip of the gap you're going, which, if it's a two man surface out there, it's the outside hip of the tackle. But you got to be able to scrape that thing tight and be able to play a quarterback, be able to take on a kickout. Or like we see against a lot of teams in our conference, they got a little hip tight end or a little hip wing back, and he's trying to dig in there and rip inside and inside zone block you. So on a loop, you got to be able to scrape paint and get hands on that guy and put him back on the spot. So that's why I like to separate these things and just teach them a little bit different because it is different. It's different. Like I'd want a two-eye when he's ragging to plan on punching the crap out of a tackle blocking down on and holding that point. You know what I mean? So I emphasize those things differently. You know what I mean? I want a looper to think about getting more vertical off of his second step because they can always pass the daggone ball or you've got to set the edge to the defense. You know what I mean? So there's just certain things, little wrinkles that are different going outside than going inside. From a technique, it's the same deal. So when I'm talking about that, I'm talking about defeating blocks. The blocks are different. What I want is a little bit different. Okay? But it all starts the same way, near hip of the gap you're going to. If you're a looper outside and there's no tight end on the ball, it's going to be the outside of that tackle hip, all right? But the same deal, second step vertical on the ground, strike or scrape paint's the difference. You're going to might have to scrape paint on these outside moves, all right? And the same deal now. When you're scraping paint, though, it might be a spill, might be a squeeze kick out. You might have to get to quarterback depth, which we're more of a, a mesh charge team. I just think it's, it's kind of my – DNA to be more aggressive. So uh, I don't know. I just like mesh charging things and getting two by two on the quarterback versus shuffling square and staying tight on a tackle hip. And then the quarterback just outruns his butt to the outside. So I almost like to slam the door on things. All right. So if anybody's listening who wants to 
Defeatus, go ahead. Maybe that's a secret. I just well, so, all right, let's talk about that really quick. So yeah. I'm a four-eye, and I'm looping outside. I loop outside. I get a down block by the attack. I'm scraping paint, and my eyes go, and I see that, I see that mesh. So I'm going and attacking that mesh right now. Uh, yes, but I like to get my shoulder. So when I scrape paint, I like to get my shoulders facing the mesh. So I'm not just running straight up field. I, everything about me is my eye progression, which is on these movements as well. When you look, if you look at the cutouts, right? When I get that veer inside, my eye progression begins. And so that changes from opponent to opponent. I know people don't like to hear that, but it, it does. When you're playing a spread team, for example, like if we play uh, Sanford, and there are a lot of shotgun, one back, spread, right? When I scrape paint, I'm going to be getting more vertical. I got to get to almost two by two of that quarterback where I'm slamming the door off, okay? When I'm playing Citadel and Furman and Mercer, and I'm getting belly G down my throat, I'm going to scrape paint tight. So to make this really clear, when it's spread, I go man on, near back, to far side kickouts. When we're playing... Other teams are conferences that run the football. It's man on, far side to near back. So that's the eye progression game that we're going to change up from time to time. Um, there's some situations where a looper would spill, like belly G is kind of a funky one because just the way you've seen it, wing T. Go ahead and squeeze that and see the get gash burger for cheese for 30 yards. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so. That's kind of the difference. So hopefully I, I answered your question a little bit. It depends on the opponent, but I like to go press the issue. I think sitting there and giving a quarterback five yards of space to read stuff is just too daggone easy. Too easy. So, you know, is it risky? Yeah, time. But I like the aggressive. I don't like getting struck out looking. I like getting struck out. Swinging. Yeah, there you go. There you go. I catch one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and like you said, it, it does have to be, uh, to some extent, it has to be based on what the type of offense you're seeing. And, and you guys are, are similar to us because we're in a part of the state of Texas where we, we can see wing T one week and then, uh, you know, 10 personnel the next week and then uh, more, you know, pro style the next week. So we have to kind of have these different techniques in place and it can't just be a one size fits all deal all the time because, the types of offenses we're playing are very different. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. And, you know, every every school, you have to somewhat make the defense to the opponent's game. If you're not doing that, then what the heck are you doing? You're just calling plays and throwing darts at the dartboard. I mean, golly. And, and sometimes I think that hurts teams. You know what I mean? But in a day, if you're winning a championship, you got to be doing things right. You know what I mean? So I, I, I say that towards other teams in our conference that have won the championship and maybe didn't do as well in the playoffs just because their scheme maybe didn't allow them to do that. But you're winning your conference. You're doing something daggone good. So there is that kind of, you know, catch-22 there. But I think if defensively you have to look at your schedule and you have to see what do we need to stop. And if you're not doing that, then I think you're making a big mistake, which it sounds like you guys are obviously doing that in some of the scheme that you're talking uh, over there, Pleasant Grove. So good yeah. stuff. Yep. Yep. So – just going to end this technique here on the next one. It'll be the last one here, all right? Well, I'll, I'll lead into this a little bit different. Sorry. You get me chatty, and I've had a coffee. And I know it's late, but I love rocking and rolling here. This is my jam, all right? So let's get back up here, all right? So I'm covering one and a half gap, all right? But I'm going to 
pause it real quick because we do do same gap movements. All right, so same gap movements. That's a zero, think about a zero technique. All right, because we basically skipped that, so I don't want to leave that forgotten here. All right, so we got our attacking techniques, we got our base techniques, and we go into movements. I teach a one technique and a one and a half first, right? Because really, if you set the principles there, then the same gap movement is pretty easy because all you teach, at least what I teach it, is you work vertical more with your first step. So when I say our same gap movements, it is a zero technique or a head up. It happens for us in zero. I could load them into one A gap or the other. So technically, that's not a one gap movement. So I call that a same gap movement. Yeah, yeah. Then we also can take a one technique and skin them into a two eye or a two eye and skin them into a one or a three to a four eye or a four eye to the three. So we have those little wrinkles too that come up, whether it's a surface or maybe it's a movement that in this front, we want to allow more space for that movement to hit. So we need to skin away from it for example, versus just playing a shade technique. So I just wanted to get that off my chest here before I go into this, because I want to make sure I cover everything that I possibly can. Um, but from a progression standpoint, I do teach that last because that's just a one-step deal. You don't have to teach it like footwork-wise like I teach the other one, okay? So going into one-and-a-half gap, the biggest difference between one-and-a-half gap and one gap is your first step is moving away from your down hand. Right? So when we do a one-and-a-half gap, right, I'm a two-eye, then a one-and-a-half gap to the far A gap. Right, so I'm a four eye long sticking in the again. Right, so I got my left hand down, I'm moving right. I got my right hand down, I'm moving left. Okay, so what I need to do first off, and since we do an attack, sorry, since we have a read attack technique, it's harder for teams to see when we're doing this, especially since we get it going from a two eye. So, what I mean by that is I still got my weight the same with my hands, like a shade or a one gap but I have balanced stance. So my feet are now balanced because you can't have a funky stance and take a good step away from your hand. It's gonna just step and replace or you'll end up clicking heels or crossing feet. You've seen that through your experiences as well. All right, so when I'm talking about these inside movements. Really, it's a long stick. One and a half gap is a long stick. So that means it could be that four eye that we talked about moving in. It could be a two eye super rack in the center, all right? All the same things with your eyes and your hand placement's the same, I teach the feet different. So what I teach is a push, 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 push. So if I'm going to the right, I have my left hand down, I'm going to the right. I want to push off my left foot to really gain ground flat and keep my shoulders straight, even though my eyes are looking at my target, all right? I say push, push because kids understand it. They know that I have to push off my left, and then I need to push off my left quickly again. You get my point? So it's that way we're not crossing feet. They just know it's a push and push again. So it's a step, push, step. And once you get that push, push, now you're into your third step and it's turning into a one gap movement. So once you push, push and cover the ground you need to cover, now I'm, where's the near hip? Am I punching it? And am I squeezing it? Am I ripping vertical through? All right. So basically that turns into a one gap. You just have to cover some ground before you get there. That's how I like to teach it. Right? So, so when, you yeah, say, when you say gap and a half, mm -hmm. uh, that means that if I'm a four eye, I'm hitting the two eye side of that A gap. Is that correct? I have them to the center hip. 
Okay, okay, okay. So then, yeah, he is going all the way. Okay, yeah, that, okay, I get, you, I get what you're saying because the half part comes from him being in a four eye, and and I can mm -hmm. see right there it says in front of me, I'm keying the, uh, the near hip of the gap you're going. So yeah, okay, that there's the answer to my question. All right, you're sorry, good, man. you're good, and that's you know sometimes it's fun like that four eye and that long stick. It's believe me, there's times where like as a player, my guys like they they see things kind of like they're running a spike, even though they're running a long stick, or sometimes the things kind of blur and. I, at first, I was getting kind of mad at it. And second, I'm like, well, it kind of jacks up the offense who's looking at what we're doing, too. Because really, we should be a full eye here, but now we're doing a funky little, you know, maybe it looks a little different. So, you know, I, I, I get particular in practice, but at a certain time of the game, I know basically what you teach them, it's there. They're doing whatever they're going to do on this team. I don't care who you are. And if you got a microphone and the daggone helmet of the guy, right? you can tell them exactly what to do and they'll do what they're going to do. So that's where I, I've kind of taught myself as I've gotten older, like, keep, like you said, aim small, miss small, right? Don't nitpick every single freaking thing or else you're going to get players playing small. I don't want players playing small. I want players playing fast and confident. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So basically covering that one and a half gap movement, it's the inside technique, all right? Last one here, then we'll move forward. Let's see. All right, so here we go. So now we're getting into, all right, so we do like a, we do, we have plenty of bare front that we show as well. Okay, so a one and a half gap moving outside for us is a three technique looping outside to play the quarterback to squeeze kickouts. Or it could be a one technique ragging the guard. So I'm a one technique with my hand towards the center, but I got to push, push and get to the B gap outside that guard. So everything about that's the same as far as the hands, where the weight is, the stance, the eyes. They go to the same spot. But just like there were subtle differences between the inside one gaps and the outside, the same thing arises. It's a straight paint issue. It's a straight paint issue. So when I'm running that super rag from a one technique, I push, push. My eyes are now to that tackle hip area. And if that tackle's coming down, I better punch it just like a one gap. I better hold that point. If I don't see that tackle or that tackle going vertical, I got to scrape paint on the guard and get back into spill dive business, All right? Same thing with the loop. The hard thing with the loop is that a surface, I got to cheat it. I got to cheat. We can get into that and discuss it for sure, but I'm a big guy of it. A line for success. A line for success. Unless you are a freak of nature, All right? Some of these NFL guys, some of these big-time college football players in the big boy leagues, not being my – Important. Hopefully, I can recruit some of these guys. That'd be great, right? But I got to work with who I can get, right? So I'm going to make them cheat their alignment, just like in practice. All the offensive coaches, defense coaches, they make everybody, you know, look the same, do all this stuff. And then when you get to game week, they're cheating for success. So I'm just avoiding all that crap. I'm going to teach them to do it all the time. And if you get to be honest, great, because I need to be this tight in order to be successful, and I don't care if you know it. So to speak. So I've kind of bought into that a little bit more too these days. Is you can harp on and do this, and then you're going to get really mad when they don't get outside and they don't contest. So pick your poison. Pick your poison. Um, but really, that's I know that was a lot, but I could definitely talk for like four more hours on that stuff if you really want me to. Um, and I have plenty of coffee, so I can keep rolling definitely on that. But um, as far as the technique, that's the the general D line play. That we're going to cover 
because that's just everything builds off of those techniques and those movements for us. And now we piece it together with our scheme and it's the player's job to know when do I apply. Do you have a uh, video of, of those, of those different techniques that you can kind of roll through and talk through just real quick? I will try to make it as quick as possible. Yes. I will pick probably one play from those deals. That's perfect. Awesome. Yeah, that's perfect. Awesome. Let's start with our shade technique. All right. So basically on this one, right. We're looking at all three of these guys. Sorry. I had my laser pointer on it. You guys can't see my laser pointer. All right. So these three right here. Okay. So we have a center, we have a read attack here, right? So really focused on these two, All right? Let's get the inside. Or let's get the end zone view here, okay? Look at these two, all right? So we got shade, shade, all right? We're getting two base blocks. This is a man blocking scheme we're seeing here. Be the neck, hand on the bicep. I can get a little bit more strike off of this, right? But at least my fit's okay. Now from here, he needs to do more knockback and take this gap and then gap assist. Make sense? So what you see here is like we talked about is that just playing a shade, I control my gap. I peak my gap. If the back's not there, I can gap assist, which he does. All right? Over here on this side, I call this a base as well. I mean, it's not fire off ball. He's more hinging and turning in a little bit, but it's a base block when you're playing football. I don't care what you call it. All right? But we get good strike. Pad level's a little better. You get the lockout, hand on the bicep. And the last one's on the far chest. He's peeking through his gap, seeing the back. As you can see, what does he do when he sees that back? It goes to him, so he's not just going to rip off. He's squeezing and having patience. There's one thing I tell these guys is, look, don't make the choice for the running back. Don't make the choice for him. And you know why JMU is really good at running the football? Because their backs mess with that better than anybody we see. And when we pick this gap, they would show it, stutter it, and bounce it. I mean, it was beautiful the way they run the football. Now, the D lineman, I usually don't like to say that, but daggone, those kids, they can move. Right? So we're going to make you have that guy if you're going to do that. And still, we can make plays on people who do that. Right? That's just an example. Have some patience in the run game, right? And here's one real quick that will go into the next one. This is a read attack, zero, right? So the read attack now, he's reading the screws of this center, right? So really, he's getting at him. He's going to leave with his hands. Stay square, but you see how at a certain point you have to pick a gap. Even as so, when I'm doing a read, a read attack, if he doesn't show me one way or the other, I got to go at him and I got to pick a gap. So it ends up turning into a two gap, just like this guy, just like this. All right. So even on a read attack, you can still play just like a daggone game. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So that's just one good clip here of a shade technique. And we get another bonus up here of a read attack. Nothing better than when you look at your group and you see three one-on-ones in the run game and you win them all. Yeah, nothing, that's right. Nothing better than that, man. So so, so those those three texts right there. Yep. Are there is it like, do you say, you know, hey, your 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 primary gap is B gap, but your secondary gap is A gap? And and how is the linebacker fitting? Is the mic just fitting off the nose? Um, the mic. In a lot of these scenarios here, all right, it can change from week to week, opponent to opponent, but it's going to be a center to triangle read. So they might end up getting a little bit of this action when they're reading as well. But a lot of times it's center hat, all right? 
if we get a good beat on the specific guard, whether it's to the back or away from the back, we can read that as well. All right, but really, whenever he's back here, we're working in this realm, unless we're caging that back, which we can read the back as well. So that if anybody's listening to our scheme, we can read the back as well, the jerk, right? So from him, though, most of the time, it's a center to guard hat triangle read, okay? Um, with these guys, the other thing I'll say is I talk about open book test, open book test. Where's the back, All right? In yeah. this picture, we get a decent look at them doing it. They don't do it as much as I want, but they're human, right? So he's got to be a little bit thicker like he is because he's expecting scoop. We always expect like it's zone. We don't expect like a scoop, right? So since Haney over here is away from the back, he can be wider. He's expecting reach your base. Makes sense? So I always say whenever you're a shade technique, you got to really read the open book test. So what that does at times, it helps cover our tail when we're cheating wide as a three technique to go loop. You know what I mean? So like sometimes they're like, well, yeah. why is he out there? Yeah. You know what I mean? You don't know if it's the back or you don't know if we're moving. You know what right. I mean? So hopefully I answer your question on the shade. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yep. Awesome. All right, let's go. Um, where I did read attack. We'll fly through. I'll give you a couple eggs real quick. So going over the egg again, an egg is like a shade technique here. All right. If we get hat to us, whether it's a base, a reach, or a pass set, we're going to strike, peak, and cross face, right? So it's a three technique running an egg. Pretty good play. Gordon Ward's crafty veteran. He's actually, uh, we don't have grad school at VMI, so he's actually transferring. He graduated, and he's one of the highest graduates here in history. He's going to Ball State, so we got a full ride to Ball State, so good for him, man. Great opportunity. As you can see here, it's, it plays like a shade. I wish he wouldn't hop out. Right? I wish his hands would be a little bit better. But what you see is easy. If you strike, you lock out, and you peak, that's enough strain to make him want to lean. Use that against him. Yeah, that's a great picture of it with that guard leaning. You see his weight way out over his toes. Ooh. Right? Yeah, Absolutely. right there. Right there. But you know that when people do this, they struggle at times because they want to get too excited and just get up underneath it. You know what I mean? But it works better when you just have a hair of patience and you sell it like a shoe. Yeah, like you said in the uh, on the graphic, you have to have them locked out first. If you're just trying to pinball in there, it's it's not going to work and you're going to get driven off the ball. But, yeah, you got to get them locked. It's a progression. You got to get them locked out, yep. you know, and, and then you peak and then you can, uh, the, I guess the terminology I would use is you trash them. Yeah, uh, pilot shed, trash them. Yeah. Anything getting rid of those holding, cheating. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. I love it. So we do teach a non-contact egg, but that's more on the edge. And we call it a spill blitz. So like there's times where this guy, which actually this is what he should have done. All right. But he didn't do it. Okay. If he's not great with his hands, we'll just tell him that we call it bonsai or spill it, right? Which means hat to him. He's just going to one to his feet. Head fake you one, two, and then just rip on. Makes sense. So it's basically doing the same technique without striking. So if you got a guy who can't punch and can't own people like that, that's a way you can appease and still get what you want done. All right. But these O linemen are good now. They see that a lot. They're going to hinge in and really shut down that big end. So egging is difficult here. That's where maybe a bonsai could help. Okay. So that's just example there. All right. We've got those. Give me, um, let's see. 
Let's go into our one gap stuff. All right, let's get a couple pops. You know what? I talk all this game about pops. Let's see a couple pops. All right. Let's start with the hard head himself. One of my favorite guys I've coached. Him. I like the hard headed ones, those violent ones that want to just ask questions later. All right. So everybody says don't get reached. No, three technique can never get reached. Well, there is a thing called overreaching, Coach Taylor. And if no lineman overreaches, that's his fault. All right. So what you have here is a pop. He's the penetrator. You get the long stick behind it. They're running speed option. What you'll see from the end zone, all right, it ended up happening like we're talking about. The pop ends up being a cue point. All right. Let's fast forward this thing. So all this 97 is thinking about is I'm going to rip vertical. All right. And so what you see here is an overreach by the guard. So really he's on his path, but he ends up just beating the center. So again, is it just how you wrote it up? No, but if you were too picky, you'd probably do something like that, not make this play. You know what I mean? So I love the aggressive mentality of it. And like I said earlier, you can see the blitz peeler coming off the edge to help him out to know that he doesn't have to contain the thing. He just so happened to pop her in up, making the tackle and hitting the ball. So yeah, huge yeah. play there, right? Let me see. Um, this is another good example here. Just the disruption of it, right? So you can see from the end zone here, popper, long stick. I mean, just getting vertical in the backfield alone causes the split zone action to end up getting two for one. We call it a good old twofer. So he's trying to go outside there, just ripping low and penetrating, knocking people back. Caused incredible disruption, which that's what we want to do like chaos and disruption. Again, this kid was great at these, just being a hard head, low, ripping through. Beautiful look. And now here's an example, all right, of even if it's not the cleanest rep, that, that five technique, long second in there, he can be a player now. So watch this kid, long sucker, Ryan Clark. So it's not the best pop and the flow's away from you. You can see that backside, that popper can make the trip. So as long as that pop doesn't get cut off, you can fight it, it fries the door open for the popper. So that's what I say on that slide. Can't get reached, can't get cut off. All right, I don't count overreaching as reach. So even, you see, I mean, it's, he's basically losing, but at least he opened up some space. We made it from the backside. So yeah, that's nice. That's nice. That's nice. Pops, man. It was great effort by that kid. All right, so... I'll give you a couple one gap movements here. I'll give you one inside, one outside. These just to make sure we're staying on track here. And hopefully, whoever's listening has a long, long drive, maybe two to three hours plus. We're just making this exciting for you. We're getting close to summertime. You know, guys are going to be going on vacation. So, yeah, this <laughs> is, you know, they're going to want to tune the kids' cartoons out in the back and shouting and screaming going on. So, this is perfect. No doubt. All right, so we got a one-gap movement here. Okay, so this is where I remember saying that when you one-gap move, right, depending on what block you're seeing, it turns into a shade. At a certain point when you're punching and you got a gap you're responsible for and you're on a side of somebody and you're a half a man, it turns into a shade. So we got a spike into the A-gap here. He's going to read the center's hat. And as you can see, exactly what we want. Just knock back, vertical press. One, first step is 45. You can grab grass a little bit more, but look at that second step, get vertical. 
vertical and in the ground. I'll do it a little slow here. Boom. Now the power is different. A lot different. Look at that pad level. Locks out. Redirects and makes a play. It's a great example of getting vertical off the movement. I'll go slow here again. Vertical off the movement. Good footwork. The eyes where they need to be. Again, are the hands perfect? No. They never are. Just finishing the play. Great look at a one gap. All right now, let's go outside. All right, so might get to watch a couple of these just because they're a little bit different. All right, so again, our inside movements is a spike. It's a beat into the B gap from a five technique, or it's a one technique ripping across the center. Now we get into one gaps where it's a two eye ragging outside of the guard, or a four eye looping outside the tackle. Let's get it from this side. All right, so watching zero again. Don't worry, I didn't mean to pick his clips all the time. Some of my players are going to watch. It showed up, man. He's going to run a rag here. And as you can see, I want him key in the near hip. You can see actually the stripes on his helmet. Boom. Good job with his eyes. He could dip a little bit more, but I emphasize on these rags and super rags, we're punching tackles. We're not redirecting and washing. I want them to strike and knock his tail backwards to disrupt the mesh or to disrupt the running game. I don't want to just redirect off that guard. Look, it's always, hey, I talked to our guys about the dirty work, man. A lot of times our job is dirty. It's physically difficult. And we allow other people to be successful at times. What you see here is actually on the other side, another good look at a one gap inside. Spike in the center. He's trying to fight through his gap here. Ends up crossing face. Pretty good look from both these guys inside. And even on here. So let's go out to the outside. Now, I put this in the one gap, but really this is like one and a half, right? Because he's looping outside, right? And so now we got a surface here, Ty. So we got a surface. I want him to step through and key that surface, right? There's a lot of things that surface can do. A lot of stuff. If they come and cut back in here. I want to treat him, redirect, scrape paint, almost like a base block. I'm going to base him. Right? But he could also arc out. And then now I got a kick out coming. So I got to know if he goes out, I go vertical and scrape paint. Right? Or if he runs, sorry, I teach it like this. If he goes vertical or out, we get vertical and work back in. So that's one of those eye progression deals I talked about. But again, now it's a three man service. So you got to be able to go punch this tight end. Just like we tell all these D linemen, getting blocked by a tight end is simple. I mean, simple. So my favorite is when these guys bring wide receivers in here and they stand up like this. Yeah. I treat them like tight ends. Yeah. You want to act like a tight end, we're going to treat you like one, and we're going to line up on you, we're going to punch in the mouth. So keep lining up your receiver on the point. Man. Keep doing it. At least you see good hand placement trying to squeeze back. You know what I mean? Now. He needs to do a better job here and a little bit more visual towards the back because our loopers, whenever we get back to us on our eye progression, we got to check boot. Got to check boot. Go against Western Carolina here, and they got a really good center. The kid actually transferred to Appalachian State. Now, part of this was the nose is a little bit funky with his movement, right? But what you'll see here from the end zone, you get a four eye, he's got a long stick, and he's going to key this hip, right? So 
like you said earlier, like, is he going to work it like a two eye kind of get in this side of the guard? We like to go here, right? Now, this kind of hurts us on this play. I'm not going to lie, right? So when he keys this, I'm going to go slow here. Push, push. So now do you see the push, push first off? He's going to push off this foot. Then he pushes again. See what I'm talking about? So that's the push, push I was talking about. And he's keeping his shoulder square to the line he's of scrimmage. trying to. Yeah, trying he to. He should be a little bit more square, but obviously when you're looking at yeah. something here, you're right. you got to end up kind of turn a little bit. Right. Right, but right here he gets thick on that center because his eyes are on him. See that? When really, you'd wish he was kind of reading this on this play just the way it was blocked. But you know what? Who knows? I think the center kind of screwed up, in my opinion. He should be flying towards it. But I want a little redirect, but I just think it's a great look of, all right, step, eyes, he's really attacking and focused on the near hip of that center. I just wish he would react a little bit better out here, but tough play. This is a good look at just dirty work, dirty work, right? Are the hands perfect? Heck no, right? But he knows this is my gap. I'm keying this shoulder, right? So he's going to long stick in the egg gap. You see how he kind of sits more on this guard hip? It's not exactly how I want it. But look how he fights to get into his gap. I mean, he's taking up two. He's fighting and doing his job. And you know what? It's not pretty. But look, we got unblocked people because of him. Unblocked people, right? Which I always say that's that's worth it. That's worth it. Make the linebackers go take you out for a meal or something, right? All right, so we get a rag. So it's a super rag. Wofford ran this good scheme. It was giving us some headaches early, especially, right? But here's two. You get a, a twofer on this clip, Coach. All right, so first, you're going to see a one technique. He's going to push, push. And really, he's going to be feeling the guard, but he's key in here, all right? So that's important on this rep because it causes him to scrape paint, causes him to scrape paint. What you'll see on the backside is a width of the grain, so he's going to spike, but the guard's going away from him. We don't expect to get in front of him. We're going to press him and get off the hip, all right? So that's a – you get a look at both these. Let's look at the two – or the super rag first. So good push, push. You can tell at first his eyes are working here, but what's he see? Tackle's working out. So he gets ripping vertical. Great job getting into the B gap, right? He gets penetration. This is a really cool kind of play. So they run this like midline. So the quarterback, I don't think he ever keeps it or he hadn't kept it, right? They pull the center, and then they man block, man block. Make sense? It's kind of a funky little play. Yeah. But they, they were killing some guys on. I think they really liked the center, and it was a way they could handle four down, right? But, again, push, push, eyes. This is almost a scrape paint scenario. Makes sense. So the tackle wasn't flying down. So that tells him scrape paint. That's one of those outside differences than inside differences, right? And then, on the backside, he's squeezing them, falling off the hip, making a playoff movement, right? So just to give you guys a visual, give you a visual, all right, I think that as good examples as I can get without spending five hours here rolling through my hundreds of clips as I can. No, that's great stuff. Great stuff, Coach. Um, and and I love the uh, I love the movements and and just uh, the the freedom that you guys, you know, that 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 gives you guys to be able to, you know, play off what that offensive line gives them.
Absolutely. Thank you. And, um, you know, it's it's amazing what you can get kids to do when you're aggressive. When you're aggressive and it's fun, and you know, I mean, obviously football is fun no matter what you're doing, but there's just something different when you're moving around and you're having fun and you're juiced up. And the hard part is you got to simulate, which I know we talk about all this stuff, and my basis as a coach is always fundamentals and simulation. Simulation is some of the most critical stuff you got to do, right? And so remember that is during training camp, we're doing fundamentals. We're teaching you all the techniques. We're teaching you hands. We're teaching you how to do things, how to get your body the right way, right? Even like we go to, we'll talk about pass rush here soon, right? It's how you got to teach them the dance moves, so to speak. You got to teach them where to put their feet, right? But after that, you got to be working simulation. You got to get two on one drill. You got to get front line. You got to get half line. They got to fit blocks. And you, the way you got to do that is, at least I don't know, unless you got scout teamers on the reg, all right? We got to self-serve. So my starters got to give people a look as an offensive lineman. And I think it helps you. I think it helps you to know, all right, this is what this offensive lineman looks like because I'm having to display the look and feel that. All right. So as far as all this movement stuff, that's what I'll say. Like, if you just want to go rip around angle, I don't know if it's going to be what you'd want to do because it's not going to be technically sound. To be technically sound, you've got to get lots of simulation reps, whether it's in team, right? or I like to get additional ones in our industry. Uh, well, Coach, we're actually uh, we're going to wrap things up here with some some rapid-fire questions for you, and we'll have to, um, have to save the pass rush stuff for another day because I know that we can get into some great stuff there and, and, uh, and really uh, you know, learn more about how you guys get after the quarterback. But I, wanna, I, I want to uh, put you under some pressure here uh, before, we, before we get you out of here. So you like cool with that? I like it, man. Let's go. All right. Well, let's 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 hit. Let, we're gonna get get the controversial question right out right out of, out of the gate here. Okay. You mentioned that you were a part of the Bush Push game, the USC uh, Notre Dame game, that infamous game with the infamous finish uh, right there, where Bush pushes Matt Leinart into the end zone. But here's what I want to know: How tall was that grass there at Notre Dame Stadium wow. that night? <laughs> Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah, very tall. Yeah, um, to the point where like we're like, coach, we don't we don't like it. I know <laughs> we're trying to slow down Reggie Bush, but he can still run, man. They ain't gonna cut. I remember it because y'all y'all wore green jerseys that night, right? Yeah, we did the old switch after warmups. Yeah, because I remember watching that game and remember the the commentators talking about how tall the grass was, and and at first you're like, oh, come on, you know, like whatever. And uh, and then you're kind of looking at it, and I've I've seen clips of that of that tape, you know, of that game since then. It's like, man, that grass was pretty long. Well, and you know, bad news. There was a punt return that USC had that buckled a knee, like tore a knee, trying to catch a punt. And I think it was again. <laughs> he got caught up somewhere he wasn't expecting. And, you know, shame, shame on us for getting that high, but just the way it is sometimes, man. Hey. The, the, you gave the, the maintenance guys a, a, a week off or a couple of days off. Um, speaking of now, so I see you, you guys play there on a grass field there at VMI. Um, Notre Dame is now turf, so that's not an issue anymore. What, what do you prefer, grass or turf? I prefer grass because I'm an old school guy, and I just think that I think certain scenarios, obviously the way the, the grass is kept, you know, I have particular – details that I enjoy. Like I love 
some of that southern grass, like down there in Wofford. They got a really good area. Some of the best grass field I remember was playing at Georgia Tech back in the day with Talon Johnson. That was some good grass they had down there. But I'm old school, man. I mean, I always played on grass. Like, turf was just getting cool when I was in high school. So, like, there were yeah. like key teams in the state that had it. But I just think it's it's more natural. I think, obviously, it's the guy's a little better give at times. Obviously, you got to keep it well kept or else it can be dangerous. But right. I better for long term versus the turf. I just I think there's going to be things that come out here in 20 years that they're like, eh, turf isn't as hot as what we thought it was going to be. It says yeah. year to year yeah. deep, but the knees and the back and all the joints, I don't know what that's going to tell in the future. Well, that and, you know, every coach's wife in America who's, whose husband coaches on turf fields like mine uh, is not a fan of the black beads that get in the carpet and when you take your socks off and I have to take my socks off outside um, because if I take them off inside, the, the beads go everywhere and, oh, yeah. you know, uh, I get in trouble. So you're, you're hundred percent accurate. And I, we have a shoes off household and I was eating lunch today and I looked down cause usually I'm a messy eater. And uh, I looked down and there's like a hundred black beads there. And I'm like, I want to tell my wife, I got to clean it up here before this. Air. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Okay, you mentioned uh, you already had some coffee tonight, so and you seem like a guy who has no issue getting juice. But when you do need that extra jolt, what's your caffeine source of choice? Is it coffee or is it something else? Um, it's coffee, a hundred percent coffee. Um, I will say this though: when I was a GA in Indiana, I was up in the box and I was the personnel guy, the formation guy, I had a scriber behind me, so I was lit. All right, so basically, I was pounding. Coca-Cola classics. I, okay. I would do like four or five of them in overtime game all the time. So that was my juice because it was just, you know, some days it's hot up in the box. And like, I can't sit there and just chug coffee. So I'll get some nice, crispy Coca-Cola. Coffee is my source. Okay. I remember when I was going creamer when I first started, but no, no more, man. That's oh, yeah. Straight black. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's the only way to go. I, my, when I started, or, or I would always talk to my dad, drink, drinks coffee. And he always said, Hey, if you ever start drinking coffee, you got to learn to drink it black because if not, you're not always going to have creamer or sugar or whatever it is available to you. So you might as well just learn to drink it black. And so that's what I did. And that's what I do. And, and I love it. So, um, okay. Here's the next question. Um, I got to know what is on the game day playlist or Coach Coons? Oh, as a player or a coach? Well, okay, let's go player because we're kind of same era. So let's let's talk some 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 because we might have some same songs here. We may have some similarities here. So as a player, as a player, all right, it was definitely Metallica. Right? Okay, it was Rage Against Machine, Disturbed. I was I was getting funky. Right? Yeah, was a lot of good pacing around and huffing and puffing and sweating before a game. <laughs> um, as a coach. You know, I, I I like a little more classic rock. I really do. Because I can still listen to, like, all right, so, they, like, I have to be more level-headed. As a, right, right. That's the difference. So I like more guitar riffs versus, like, melt your face. There you go. Okay. So I'm going more, like, Zeppelin, um, Floyd, depending on the drive. You know what I mean? Like, if I got, like, a 40-minute drive, maybe. But I'm going Fleetwood Mac, some of the classics. Oh, yeah, yeah. All right. Nice, nice. Okay. Uh, next question. What would be, if, if I were to ask your players go in there and, and talk to your players in your, in your D line room and said, Hey guys, what is, is coach 
Coons catchphrase? Like, what's the the phrase that that he says all the time? What would they say? Oh, yeah. I know what it is. Um, read a book. Okay. But, like, if they're doing something bonehead, read a book, man. Come on. That's simple. Read a book. Read a freaking book. Right? It's either that or violence. I think, like, even the high school, when I was coaching high school, like, they loved how many times I said violence. And I always preach on violence is free when you're a D lineman. I can't have violence like you guys. I miss it. Yeah. You go to jail for punching people. You guys. Can yeah. So either violence or read a book. I okay. Say. All right. And neither one of those, well, and those are kind of opposite end of the spectrum, violence and read a, read a book. So that just, I guess that speaks to how well-rounded of a coach you are. All right. Well, we'll, we'll get you out of here on this one. Uh, going back to your days at Notre Dame, you mentioned playing at Georgia Tech. What was the most electric road atmosphere you ever played in? Hmm. All right. So there's, there's a couple. Okay? Number one is Penn State. At Penn State, it was one of the earlier whiteouts that they ever did back in like 2007-ish, 2000. Yeah. yeah. Right. So that was a big deal. Right. And then I love the Coliseum. I love playing USC at the Coliseum. There's just something about it when – when that horse was right out there and you heard that fight song start out, I mean, and then you just realize, oh, yeah. And, and when we were playing them, they were like Bama. So there was a lot of them. Oh, yeah. You know, it was just, there's a different kind of juice out there. But I was so lucky to play in these stadiums, man. Like, it's, it's unbelievable. Just being able to, like, Michigan not making my list is kind of like pinky up. You know what I mean? Like, come on, Pat, what's wrong? How's Michigan? Wrong? But I always loved Notre Dame, too. I mean, that stadium, there was just a different. That first time hitting the Plaza Champion, run out of that tunnel, man, goosebumps. Goosebumps. It was awesome. So does this mean, uh, I asked our, our last week's guest, I asked, we closed out, and I know I said this was your last question, but I'll but mention this, and so I'll ask you one more. Uh, is your favorite football movie, does it have to be Rudy then? Oh, God. Oh, no. Or is no. that one of those things where Notre Dame people are like, oh, gosh. Yeah, well, I mean, I can quote, like, the entire thing. So I could hate on all of them. I'd love that movie. I just think that there's a lot of good football movies. Like, for example, like I just started, I turn on Amazon Prime and the program's on there. For, I'm like, yeah, give me some of that. Yeah, yeah. Varsity Blues. I mean, there's a lot of them. A lot. And then the new ones, like Friday Night Lights or something. The, really, probably the top two, though, I will say, I'll go ahead and admit Brian Song and Rudy. I'll say Okay, that. yeah. Both, both solid choices when it comes to football movies. Um, I, I do think uh, Remember the Titans is a little overrated, um, and I know I'm going to get some I, – I love it. It's a little overrated, um, and I even think um, at some aspects of Friday Night Lights kind of make me roll my eyes a little bit because it takes place in the 80s, and they're playing on, on field turf, and they have Revolution helmets, and that, that was a little like, okay. Um, and some of the hits are, that's the thing too, I think is tricky in football movies is some of the hits are way over the top and unrealistic, but you know, yeah. like um, I always like Julius Campbell running down the guy on the sideline, looking like he's jogging always made me laugh, but yeah, I, was like, I want to see varsity blues, like guys, Superman jumping over a block and killing quarterbacks. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What do you, do y'all have that? Is, do you have that somewhere up in your playlist here? Guys, Superman over a, a tackle to <laughs> left tackle to get a sack. Can we see no, that? But I do have squirrel on the road, which is okay. Awesome. All right. Wrap it up. Uh, squirrel on the road. 
is when a running back is stepping up for protection to get you. And I compare yeah. it to you're driving down a two-way street, one each way, and you got a cliff on one side, non-coming traffic, and a squirrel pops in the road. Are you going to swirl off, or are you more important than the squirrel? And we all know the answer to that. Yeah, oh, man, I love that. I'm stealing that for sure, stealing that for sure. <laughs> well, Coach, I, I appreciate it. Had a lot of fun talking with you tonight, and thank you so much for joining us. And just want to wish you and the Kedets the best of luck in uh, 2021. Thank you so much, Ty. This has been awesome. And, uh, you know, I, I hope you have me back on here at some point when we get the pass rush because, yeah, go on. This is fun. This is really fun. And you do a great job over here. This is awesome. Thanks, Coach. I appreciate it. Ooh, my man, Coach Coons brought it today. And I had a lot of fun talking with him. And I'm so thankful he was able to join us today. Make sure you follow Coach Coons on Twitter at Coach underscore Pat Coons. That's K-U-N-T-Z. And let him know you heard him here on KYPD. You can find Coach's email address in the show notes today of today's episode, as well as the link to the YouTube video of today's conversation if you want to check that out. Our quote of the day, courtesy of Coach Koontz, goes like this. A good defensive lineman is part buffalo and part ballet dancer. Well, that would do it for us on this episode of KYPD. Be sure to subscribe now and join us right here next week for episode number 108. Until then, have an outstanding week. Go get after it. And of course, always remember to the Kedet D-line and all defensive linemen enthusiasts in the world, get your pads down and keep your pads down.